All Rise, the Ashley Murphy murder trial with Frank Graney, a News Talk original podcast. A woman in her 20s has died following an assault in County Offaly. The incident happened along the canal bank at Cappenker in Tullamore at around four o'clock this afternoon. Breaking news, the arrest made on suspicion of murder of Ashling Murphy, the school teacher. Joseph Puska of Linali Grove, Mukla County Offaly, appeared before a special sitting of Tullamore District Court last night. On the afternoon of the 12th of January last year, Ashley Murphy, a 23-year-old primary school teacher, was killed while exercising along the banks of the Grand Canal in Tullamore. Josef Puska, a 33-year-old Slovakian man, is on trial for her murder. He has pleaded not guilty. I'm Frank Graney, courts correspondent for News Talk. And I'm Ashley Moore, radio producer. I'll be in the Central Criminal Court for every minute of the Ashley Murphy murder trial. And every evening we'll bring you a factual, accurate and balanced account of what the jury hears on any given day. And only what the jury hears. It's their job to decide on the facts of this case and they'll do so based only on the evidence presented to them at trial. And I should say that if you happen to be one of the jurors on this trial, then you've already been warned not to follow any of the media coverage and that includes this podcast. This is All Rise, the Ashling Murphy murder trial. Welcome to episode 16, Closing Speeches. So the jury heard closing speeches from both sides today. The prosecuting barrister Anne-Marie Lawler was first up and in her opinion, the evidence pointing to Josef Pushka's guilt is overwhelming. Mr Pushka's barrister, Michael Bowman, was next up. He's of the view that if the jurors could take a cold and analytical look at the evidence, they'll find they can't return a guilty verdict. The judge also began his charge to the jury this afternoon. So, Frank, an awful lot again to get through today. Mm -hmm. And it might be worth reminding listeners what you said yesterday, that closing speeches are not evidence. Yeah, they're not. Uh, Closing speeches are just a final opportunity for both sides to address the jury. Uh, Lots of evidence has been heard during this trial. So today was an opportunity for both the prosecution and the defence to give their take on what the jury has heard. And while the barristers, when it comes to closing speeches, while they can freely offer their opinions on the evidence, the jury doesn't have to accept them if they don't agree with what uh, they're saying. Um, Anne-Marie Lawler, the prosecuting barrister, was first up today, as you say. She took to her feet at 10.41 this morning. And according to my watch, she spent the next 42 minutes at making her final remarks to the jury. It's been three weeks to the day since she opened her case and she briefly touched on some of the legal principles. But the judge went into those in far more detail um, later on. And it is the judge who the jury must take their guidance from uh, when it comes to matters of law. She said the fundamental question for the jury to decide is who killed Ashley Murphy. And she said, we say it was clearly and without any doubt, Yosef Pushka. And she started with the confession. She said they had a confession from Mr. Pushka. He confessed that he killed Ashley Murphy. And she said that he did that because that's what he did. He did kill her Uh, in the way that he told Detective Fergus Hogan how he did it. He cut her neck. It was never suggested or claimed that those words were not said. So that's what she had to say uh, initially in relation to the confession Uh, This was the confession that Mr. Pushka said to have made at St. James's Hospital um, a couple of days after he is alleged to have murdered 
Ashley Murphy. And Ms. Lawler said that his claim that he doesn't remember making that admission is an extraordinary position in relation to what happened. Um, we know that he had surgery the night before. He was given um, a number of doses of oxycodone for the pain the following day. Um, and Ms. Lawler described his lack of memory as extraordinary because their expert, an internationally renowned expert in the areas of toxicology and pharmacology, uh, Professor Michael Ryan, um, poured over uh, Mr. Pushka's um, hospital records with a fine tooth comb. And he found that the medication, the oxy uh, that he'd been given, had nothing to do with his state of mind, had nothing to do with what he said uh, to Gardi. She described his confession as unprompted, as spontaneous, clear, detailed and unequivocal and unimpeded, she said, by medication or any other factor in the hospital. At this point, Ms Lawler referenced the defence's medical expert, Dr Johan Grundling, who was called yesterday. His report was based on Mr Pushka having 20 milligrams of oxycodone in his system, which was wrong. Correct. And and he accepted yesterday that it was wrong. And when they came to look at his evidence, the jury that is, uh, Ms Lawler asked them to ask themselves if somebody can put their name to a report and give evidence that is so fundamentally wrong, then what do they think about the rest of it? His report, I should say, wasn't solely focused on on Mr. Pushka's pain medication. Um, he said other factors like the effects of the surgery, um, an unfamiliar environment, an obvious language a barrier could have also contributed to um, distress and the possible onset of confusion. And in relation to those factors, uh, Ms. Lawler said nobody is claiming that they would somehow prompt somebody to falsely confess to murder. She wondered what exactly the doctor was claiming. She said it seemed to boil down to the notion that he may have been confused. Um, She also referred to uh, Dr. Grundling's concern in relation to the failure to have Mr. Pushka uh, assessed by a doctor before he was interviewed by Gardaí at St. James's Hospital. And she said that he kept going on about uh, Mr. Pushka's fitness to be interviewed. But she said Mr. Pushka wasn't being interviewed. Um, a search warrant was being executed at the hospital. Uh, he made inquiries about it. He then asked the interpreter to say word for word um, his confession um, that I did it. I am the murderer. Uh, I murdered. Um, that wasn't in, in as part of an interview. Again, she said that the warrant was executed and then he just started talking to the investigating officers. And in relation to uh, Dr. Grundling's evidence, she said there was nothing in it that actually casts any real doubt on Mr. what Mr. Pushka said to the Gardaí in the hospital. Um, Ms. Lawler accused Yosef Pushka of being a liar. She said that he lied on multiple occasions. He admitted being a liar. Uh, but she said that he wasn't lying on that evening uh, in the hospital when he confessed to the murder. She described it as powerful evidence in the case. She said he was there in the ditch along the canal with Ms. Murphy by his own acknowledgement while she was dying and that he then went on to confess to her murder. And she said that if you stab somebody 11 times, if you slice their neck and cover it with abrasions from that blade or that knife, the probable consequence is that the person is going to be killed or seriously injured. And therefore, according to Ms. Lawler, manslaughter doesn't enter the equation. And as she said herself today, it's not in the case. She told the jury there was so much compelling evidence in the case that she feared she was going to leave some out. She then turned her attention to the fact that Mr. Pushka's DNA was found under Ashling's fingernails. 
That's right. And she referred to the post-mortem evidence um, that the jury heard about earlier in the trial and the pathologist's opinion that she may have had defensive wounds. Ashley Murphy, that is, may have had defensive wounds on her fingers. And in relation to that evidence, um, Ms. Lawler said that Ashley was trying to save herself and that in doing so, she scratched her attacker. And when Garthy put that to Mr. Pushka following his arrest, uh, Ms. Lawler described his response as extraordinary. A garbled response about gloves was how she put it to the jury in her closing speech today. Uh, she described Ashling as an investigator in her own murder in that the evidence in relation to the identity of her killer was found under her fingernails as a result of her um, fighting back, of her uh, scratching at her attacker in that ditch. Um, and in her view, Ms. Lawler's view, um, Ashling's attempt to fight off her attacker was the only way that the DNA could have got under her fingernails. She said that was another pillar in the prosecution's case. And she asked the jurors to uh, remember it before reminding them that they're entitled to disregard her view on the evidence again if they don't agree with it. She then turned her attention to the evidence of uh, Jenna Stack, one of the uh, first prosecution witnesses to give evidence in this case. We know that Ms. Stack made a mistake when she identified a man in an ID parade the day after um, she uh, claims that she saw a man crouching over, holding a woman down in a hedgerow along the Grand Canal. Um, she made a mistake. She identified the wrong person, a person that had nothing to do with it. And in relation to that, uh, Ms. Lawler said, people make mistakes about facial recognition all the time. She got the wrong man. She accepted that she got the wrong man. And she told the jurors then, just in relation to that, that they'd have to weigh that up and they'd have to ask themselves, do I look at a Jenna Stack's evidence or just bin it altogether? And in relation to that, she said that making a mistake doesn't temper evidence about what she says she saw happening at that afternoon. She said the man that she saw holding Ashley Murphy down is Yosef Pushka. And she described Ms. Stack's evidence as really important and she said that he, um, Mr. Pushka, that is, would have you believe that Jenna is coming across a good Samaritan. And that was in relation to Mr. Pushka's version of events um, when he took the stand uh, last week. But um, Ms. Lawler claimed that wasn't the case, that he never asked uh, Jenna Stack for help. Um, he said, or she said rather, there was a, a, a terrible and a horrible symmetry was how she put it between what Jenna Stack said and the post-mortem evidence. And this related to the damage to Ashley Murphy's voice box. And given that injury, the pathologist was of the opinion that Ashley wouldn't have been able to make a sound, that she wouldn't have been able to scream. And Jenna Stack, when she gave her evidence, said uh, that she could see this girl kicking her legs out. She uh, was completely distressed. And she said that that was her cry for help, that she couldn't hear her scream. She said that she was kicking so hard, it was like she was crying out for help in that way. And Ms. Lawler said that she couldn't, Ashleen, that is, couldn't have cried out for help because she couldn't cry out at all as a result of that injury to her neck. She said, we know it was Yosef Pushka. Uh, Jenna described him as having an angry facial expression and of shouting at her to get away through what she described as gritted teeth and with a foreign accent. And he says that he just let out a yelp. This was in his evidence again that he gave last week. He says that um, he remembers this interaction with a woman he now knows to be Jenna Stack. And he said that um, he wasn't shouting angrily at her, that he just let out a yelp because he got his leg caught in some thorns. And uh, Ms. Lawler said the reality is when it comes to this, one of them is lying. 
It's either Genestack or Josef Pushka. And in relation to lies, Ms. Lawler repeatedly accused Mr. Pushka of being a liar when she cross-examined him on his evidence last week. Today, she claimed he can lie all day, every day for the rest of his life. And she said that that didn't matter before pointing out what it means when a person lies. Yeah, she said that when a liar tells you something, you scrutinise it. Um, She said their credibility is affected by the lies they tell or the lies that they have told. And she said the reliability of what they say is also affected. And she said there are a few different stories in the mix here. The story that he gave in court is that he was attacked by a, a mysterious murderer in black A COVID compliant killer with a mask on was how she put it. And this was somebody that nobody else saw. And she told the jury that they'd have to ask themselves if they can place any weight on that. She said that she wasn't claiming that Mr. Pushka is a good liar or is consistent in his lies. She said that he lies to Garthi in his parents' apartment when he comes up with what she described as a cock and bull story about being stabbed in Blanchardstown on the same day that Ashley was murdered. Um, she said that he lies to Garthy in the hospital at St. James's. Um, this was on the day that he was admitted on the 13th of January. He tells them what she described as a long, elaborate story about being stabbed. And he said, or Ms. Lawler said that all of these lies are acknowledged by him. Uh, she said that he also acknowledged that he lied while he was being interviewed at Tullamore Garda station following his arrest when he told the Garda that he didn't know anything about Ashley or what had happened to her when in fact he claims that he was attacked by the same man who attacked Ashley and that he was trying to help her that afternoon. Um, she said that he pivots between lying and not remembering stuff and she said to the jurors that they must ask themselves uh, what's that? what that's all about. She says that he doesn't remember um, uh, being in the ditch, um, what he told his family, um, meetings in the hospital, a conversation with a friend who dropped him back home to Mukla uh, that evening of making the confessions in the hospital. And she said that all of the evidence points to him being guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. And she said that she wasn't shying away from any of the evidence in the case. And she asked the jury to shine a light on everything. Ms Lawler also spoke about the CCTV footage of Mr Pushka cycling around Tullamore Town on the afternoon he's alleged to have murdered Ashling. The prosecution says the footage shows him following women on at least two occasions. Yes, and uh, Ms Lawler said that's relevant in her view because it shows a pattern of behaviour consistent with an attack on a lone female that he isolated on the canal. That's what she said to the jury today. She described Anne-Marie Kelly, uh, who gave evidence earlier in the trial as a compelling witness. Anne-Marie Kelly was concerned about this man uh, following her on his bicycle. She gave evidence of him staring at her um, in an intimidating way was how she put it in her evidence. Uh, Ms Lawler said that uh, Josef Pushka's uh, pursuit of Ms. Kelly and of another woman, Beata Barofska, are matters that the jury can take into account with being consistent with what ultimately happened. She said Ashley was attacked by the man who had earlier been pursuing these two other women. She also said his actions after the murder are wholly and consistent with guilt. Uh, taking his version of events, she asked the jury to look at what happened, uh, bearing in mind this idea that there's a black clothed male who's apparently actually committed this murder. So Mr. Pushka sees the murder, is the victim of an assault himself, and he goes into that ditch in the fields. Uh, Ms. Lawler asked the jurors to look at the injuries on his hands, to look at the injuries to his head and face. Imagine, she said, the burrowing you'd have to do through that thick undergrowth, which he did 
to get away to get away from the immediate cry for help from Jenna Stack and Aoife Marin. Uh, he is gone, gone through the briars and thorns, she said, and he doesn't feature again for four and a half hours. She accused him of hiding in that ditch. He claims he went unconscious, but she said it was much more likely he was hiding because the place became mobbed with Garthi. She accused him of fleeing to Dublin later that night. He disagrees, uh, claims he fancied going to his own GP in Dublin. Um, Again, he was claiming that, or he claimed in his evidence last week that he was stabbed by the same attacker who then turned on Ashley Murphy. And before he left for Dublin, um, Ms. Lawler told the jury that he got his family to burn his clothes. At this stage, she said it becomes farcical that the jury has been told this and with the same breath has been asked to accept that he had nothing to do with it. She said that he shaved off his beard that night to change his appearance. She accused him of stabbing himself. Um, she described him making his way back to Tullamore that evening, ducking down in the road and crouching to avoid detection. He says he was injured, that he was struggling to walk. But Ms Lawler said he showed no sign of injury in CCTV footage from that evening and from later that night when he goes into his parents' um, apartment complex in Crumlin. She claimed his story was manufactured, a retrofit story to explain how he ended up hiding in a ditch for over four hours. She said it was uh, blatantly obvious that he wasn't trying to save Ashley that day. She described his version of events as a fantasy. She said there was no credibility in it. She said the truth is he killed her brutally by inflicting 13 substantial wounds before fleeing the scene. She accused him of telling lies after lies after lies after lies. And she told the jury she hoped they already knew what she was telling them, that it was plain and obvious. And she finished her um, closing speech by saying the following to the jurors. She said, Yosef Pushka admitted killing her and then he pivoted and spun you an unequivocal structure of lies and mistruths and some of which I say are absolutely foul and contemptible in their nature. He has done all of that in the belief that he will succeed. She said he murdered Ashling Murphy and there is no reasonable or rational doubt. And when she resumed her seat, Mr. Pushka's barrister, Michael Bowman, rose from his to deliver his final words to the jury. He did, and he began by pointing out the obvious, that what happened to Ashley Murphy was barbaric and horrible. He said uh, her family uh, had sat in court with such dignity and composure as they listened to the case and watched it unfold, which he said can't have been easy for them. He then warned the jurors to be very careful in terms of the evidence that they have received over the past few weeks. He said that the accused always gets the benefit of any doubt in a case. And he then spoke about Jenna Stack's evidence. And he said that it is uh, undoubtedly the case um, that Ashley Murphy had damage to her vocal cords and that she may have been incapable of calling out that afternoon. But he said that Ms. Stack went further and concluded that she couldn't call out for help because her hands, because this man's hands um, were over Ashley's mouth, even though she said that she couldn't see his hands. And he offered that to the jury as a warning uh, to be careful of arriving at a decision with a closed mind when approaching the issues. In relation to uh, the CCTV, he said the prosecution suggests that uh, Mr. Pushka is is cycling so slowly, um, like at a snail's pace, that he can only be following women, uh, be following women rather. And he asked, where's the evidence in relation to that? Um, He said that another witness described seeing him cycling 
at what she described as a leisurely pace. And he said that that was an adequate description. In relation to Beata Barovska, uh, one of the two women who the prosecution claims that Mr. Pushka was following around Tullamore uh, that day, he said that she was unaware of his presence, just as Mr. Pushka says that he was unaware of hers. He says that he wasn't following her. And in relation to Anne-Marie Kelly, he said that there appeared to be some dispute as to whether he stared at her. Um, Mr. Pushka did accept last week in his evidence uh, that he looked at her, uh, but he repeatedly denied staring at her. And Mr. Bowman asked, is there really enough difference between looking and staring to support the prosecution's inference of predatory murderous intent? And he said to the jury that even if they are satisfied that Mr. Pushka was following girls around Tullamore that day, that doesn't mean that he had predatory murderous intent. Mr. Bowman then went on to raise concerns about the reliance of timings in relation to data extracted from Ashling's Fitbit. He told the jury that there are unanswered questions in relation to that material, so he urged them to be careful when it comes to relying on it. He also raised concerns in relation to Jenna Stack's evidence, again with particular emphasis on that ID parade. Yes, and he held um, a photograph um, up for the jury to see. And he said that Jenna Stack picked out a man with blue eyes, um, even though she had said that the man that she saw um, attacking the girl um, in the hedgerow that afternoon had brown eyes. And he said the irony there is that the identifying feature um, relied on by Ms. Stack was his eyes. Um, He said that she announced herself as 100% sure uh, after making that identification at the ID parade that the man that she saw in the lineup was the same man that she saw killing the girl in the ditch. He said that that was an honest mistake. And again, he said that she made presumptions about his hands being on her mouth. And he said that she made a split second impression that he is harming her and not helping her. Um, And in relation to lies, he said they must be dealt with very carefully. He said that on their own, uh, lies cannot exclusively be um, indicative of guilt. He said people lie for lots of reasons, embarrassment, shame, uh, panic to protect uh, somebody else. And he mentioned Rostislav Pokuta. Um, You may remember he gave evidence earlier in the trial of uh, Mr. Pushka, a man whom he knew, uh, calling to his house in Tullamore looking for um, a lift back to his own home in, in Mukla. He described him as being scared of, of being wet, of shaking. And um, he said that he had been involved in a fight up the town, but that he wouldn't give him too much detail about it. And Mr. Bowman mentioned Mr. Bakuta and the initial lies that he told Agarthi. And he wondered, why did Mr. Bakuta lie? And this was in relation to Mr. Bakuta's failure when Garthi came knocking to tell them that Mr. Pushka had called to their house. And he said the atmosphere in Tullamore at the time was more than ugly, a lot of stuff on social media. And he said that for Mr. Bakusha to be associate, associated in any way with what happened would be the end of him. He said that he understood his job um, as a bus driver. He used to do the school runs for children in, in, in the area. And he said that he understood his job would be gone the blink of an eye. And he said he had that lived experience. And he, he said that he knew, Mr. Bakusha knew that if he got caught up on this, um, in this, he, he knew he would pay the price for it. He said that he lied for a number of reasons and that didn't mean that he was guilty of of anything. So people lie, uh, Mr. Bowman said. um, But if Mr. Pushka tells a lie, he said that can only be used as another stick for the prosecution to beat him with. He said that his client accepts that he lied in uh, his interviews, but that wasn't pursued in any great detail by uh, the prosecution during the trial. He said he accused them of taking a broad-stroked approach. And he said that, um, or he told the jury 
to be wary of, of doing that. And he, he asked them not to play into prejudice and not to get engaged in speculation. In relation to the failure to get a doctor to assess Mr Pushka before he was interviewed in the hospital, Mr Bowman suggested that the Gardaí sidestepped the treating doctors and decided to deal with the nurses because, in his words, they may be more compliant. Yeah, and he claimed Mr Pushka did become distressed during the um, afternoon uh, interview, but he said that wasn't recorded and he said the evidence had to be prized out of one of the detectives uh, during this trial. And he suggested that if he was unfit to uh, continue that interview in the afternoon, it begs the the question, was he fit to um, begin the interview at all? Um, Mr. Bowman also took issue with the fact that the notes of that interview, of that evening interview, when he is said to have made the admission, um, were not read back to him in full, even though a senior, a senior officer involved in the investigation had directed that that should happen. And Mr. Bowman said... It's building a picture that everything isn't as it should be. He said um, there is evidence of confusion and that the surgery and pain were also factors when it came to Mr. Pushka's state of mind and his behaviour in the hospital. He said they can suggest that the words of the confession were not said. So they are, you know, don't take an issue with the fact that the words were said. But he said the jury would need to determine if they could be relied upon. Um, he contends that they can't. He said his client has no memory of the confession. He also wondered why there was no assessment of his fitness for interview in the hospital, but that it was one of the first things that happened when he was taken to Tullamore Garda station uh, following his arrest on the 18th of January. At that point, the trial broke for lunch and Mr Bowman continued his closing speech in the afternoon by addressing Mr Pushka's behaviour in the immediate aftermath of what happened to Ashling. Yeah, he said that undoubtedly his behaviour um, in the immediate aftermath attracts suspicion. Uh, but he said that they haven't heard anything about um, the blood found in the undergrowth. Uh, no analysis seems to have been ta- undertaken in relation to that. He then went on to talk about, um, you may remember that email that was sent to the Guard the Press office on mm-hmm. the 17th of January. Yes, he said the sender's explanation relation to that. And this was this was somebody who had sent an email to the press office um, uh, claiming to be uh, the murderer. That email was then sent to the investigation team in Tullamore who managed to track down the IP address and, and managed to track down the sender. And he said, Mr. Bowman, that is, said that the sender's explanation was accepted without any further inquiry. He said that um, he suffered with mental health issues, that he was on antidepressant medication, uh, that he had some difficulty with alcohol, that he drinks to um, excess often, and that he shouldn't go on the internet when he was drink when he's drinking. And while he accepted that he had sent it, he said that he didn't he didn't remember saying it, sending it. I mean, Mr. Bowman just made the argument that all of that was um, accepted without any further inquiries being made, but that when the defence says the exact same thing, um, they're ridiculed. And when they bring in an appropriate doctor, he said it's suggesting that he's slicing and dicing reality. And he said in relation to his expert, Dr. Grundling's view and concerns over the reliability of the confession, he said that it wasn't reliant just on oxycodone, the painkiller that he was given after his surgery. He said it was multifaceted. He said there were three other factors. Um, the recent surgery that could have led to social delirium, the unfamiliar environment that he found himself in and the language barrier. And he said that the prosecution's witness, Professor Ryan, can't speak to those things because he's not a clinical doctor. He said Dr. Grundling is, and he says it's a real thing. It exists 
and he observes it. And he suggested that Dr. Grundling's position is entirely sustainable and that it must be considered unless and until they are excluded. He said capacity must be uh, assessed. And in conclusion, then, uh, Mr. Bowman told the jurors that they have the greatest engine to get to the bottom of this collective common sense, he said. And he had been addressing the jurors for the guts of about two hours on either side of, of the lunch break. And he told them before he wrapped up that if they're not sure or if they think that he probably did it, then they must acquit. He said, the prosecution would have you believe that there is an abundance of evidence that she presents almost like a child in a sweet shop, uh, unsure what to reach for. But he said to the jurors that if they take a cold analytical analysis of the evidence and stress test it, then they can't return a verdict of guilty. That's it for episode 16 of All Rise, the Ashling Murphy murder trial. Mr Justice Tony Hunt began his charge to the jury today and is likely to finish summing up the case for them tomorrow. Once that's done, they'll then begin their deliberations. I'm Frank Graney, Courts Correspondent for News Talk. I'll be in court in the morning and every day for the rest of this trial. And you can follow me on X at Frank Graney for updates. And make sure you follow this podcast, All Rise, the Ashley Murphy murder trial for an impartial and comprehensive account of what happens in court on any given day. All Rise, the Ashley Murphy murder trial was hosted by Frank Graney and Ashley Moore with sound design by Lachlan Hart. Follow the podcast on Newstalk.com on the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud or wherever you get your podcasts.